Good morning. Good morning. Hey, it's good to see you guys. Thanks for being with us. I want to welcome the Mobile Campus, Foley Campus, everybody online, church online. Thanks so much for choosing to worship right in the middle of summer. We're just having a great summer around here, and uh, I'm glad you're here. You know, I want us to do something just a little different as we start this message. As you probably are aware, there's um, tremendous conflict in Israel. And Scripture teaches us to pray for Israel, to pray for Jerusalem, the peace of Jerusalem. And so I just want us to pray. Uh, and if you're not familiar with this and how to pray, you, you, you can just listen along. Or if you do and you're familiar with it, join me and let's pray for this nation, okay? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and favor that you've shown to Israel through all the centuries. We ask you, Lord, to continue to do that during this time of conflict. We pray that you would remember your covenants and your promises toward Israel, especially when others rise up against her. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem and for it to remain Israel's undivided capital. We pray, Lord, for the spirit of unity and peace for this land. And we declare that God's purposes for Israel will be completely fulfilled, that what you've designed for her to do and to be, it will be fulfilled, and that you will be glorified by that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I would ask you to continue to do that on a daily basis. Psalms 122.6 tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And uh, there's, there's a lot of significance in you doing that. If you have your device, your Bible, you can turn to Matthew 5, and then we'll back up to Matthew 4. Those two texts is what we're going to look at today. And, you know, we've been talking for the last, this month, about the heart of Bay. Uh, you could say what makes up the DNA of Bay Community and uh, what things we value as a church. And, you know, when you say you value, you know, if you have value, you sh- the value should change your behavior. Uh, if you say you have a value and it doesn't affect your behavior in any way, it really isn't a value. And so really what we've talked about are the things God values in his church. We, number one, the first week was family, that believers were his family. Uh, accountability, he values accountability, that we're all accountable to him. He values commitment. Because, you see, the benefit of us being committed to him and his church is that we have this inward fulfillment. And nothing is like that, having that fulfillment that you're part of something God is doing. This weekend I want to talk about excellence. And uh, I'll just start off this way. Do you know anyone that's a perfectionist? Don't point to them or elbow them. But uh, do you know someone that's a perfectionist? Or maybe you would you, say, okay, I'm a perfectionist. Well, we know no one's perfect, right? Okay, for the most part. I, I know the closest some of you come to perfection is when you fill out a job application, but uh, that's, that's, uh, that's not perfection, okay? Uh, now, true story. Pastor's teaching on, on excellence and perfection, and he asked the question I just asked, and I'm so thankful no one did this, but someone in the service raised their hand and said uh, he knew someone that was perfect. And the pastor was just caught off guard, and he just stopped, and he starts dialoguing with this guy. You know someone that's perfect? And he, he said, yeah. He said, you, I, I've never met anyone that's perfect. You sure this guy is perfect? You sure this person is perfect? And the guy said, well, you know, I haven't actually met them, but, but I know, you know, that this guy's perfect. I, I, I've been hearing about him for years. I, I've heard all about him. I, I, I know he's perfect. Well, who is the guy? Who are you talking about? He said, well, it's my wife's first husband. Uh, <clears throat> so, <laughs> there's a big difference 
in excellence and perfection. Okay? The dictionary defines excellence as possessing good qualities in high degree. Good qualities and talent or, 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 or something like that. But possessing good qualities in high degree which surpasses ordinary standards. Now notice the word surpasses because it's really ironic that it's in the dictionary because surpassing is what excellence is in the Greek. Surpasses is literally the Greek word translated excellence. So let, let, let me put that in, in something we can grab hold of. Jesus said it this way. He said excellence is go the second mile. Excellence is going further than what people would do. Perfectionism can be one person's fussy standard while excellence transcends that. It's actually spiritual because it goes beyond just wanting to do things in perfection. So I want to show you our values, our core values of our church, because our core values help keep our church surpassing the ordinary standards of perfection. We're not a perfect church, but we're going to surpass the ordinary standards. We want to throw beyond what perfection would do, and we want to, move, we want to surpass that, and you do it with excellence. So I'm going to show you very quickly our eight core values, but I'm going to do it in reverse order. So here's number eight. At Bay, we are intentional about big ideas and taking risk. We've been this way since we were born. Number seven, we're determined to always bring our best. I know that doesn't sound corporate, but it sounds South Alabama. We are intentional about always bringing our best. Number six, we're irrational in generosity. Your generosity, I'm going to talk about it next weekend, is phenomenal what you're doing. But when it comes into this house as a church, this church is generous. It goes out of this house. Our church is a generous on both sides. Number five, we are the expression of God's love when we serve others. For 16 years, we've done more ministry outside the walls of the church than in the church. And, and when you do that, when you're serving outside the walls, we call it servolution. When you're serving outside in any capacity, you are expressing God's love to people. Number four, we're better when we do life together. We call it fusion groups here. You need to be part. You need to connect. It's relational. You get to know people, friends, accountability, the word studying together. It's just, it's just we do life better together. Number three, we're deliberate in building healthy people. That's, that's the part that I've mentioned about mending the nets of people so that you can become healthy and strong and do what God's called you to do. And we do that through Freedom Ministries. We do that through equipping classes that we have that start back this fall. We do that in a lot of different ways. Number two, we're authentic in our worship. I love what Ronnie said in the video because, you know, we, we, want, the, we want the excellence in that. But once we've put that in, when they come on this platform is it's time to worship, and it's authentic. It's not performance. It's, it's, not, it's not pretense. It's true worship to lead you into worship. Number one core value, we're relentless in helping others truly know Jesus. We're relentless in helping others truly know Jesus. Last weekend, I, I, I shared with you again our mission statement. I talked the difference in vision and mission last weekend. So let me remind you of our mission at Bay. At Bay, we are all about connecting, renewing, and growing all people in Christ. That's that's the mission of this house. Now, I want to start in Matthew 5. Jesus is talking. Verse 13, here's what he said. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. 14, you're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, 
but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Salt and light are influencers. And Jesus is not using salt and light as an analogy. I'll show you the analogy in this text in a minute. He, he does have an analogy, but what he's saying, he's not saying you're like salt and like light. He's saying you are salt and you are light. So how, how, how can he say that? Because if you're saved, you're a new creation. And, and who saved you? J Jesus, right? Well, how, how did that happen? How did you get to that place where it could happen? Salt and light. Salt and light has influenced every one of us who are believers. It's influenced you to get to the place to become born again. This message has three simple points. Here's the first one. We are salt. We're not light salt. We are salt. The Bible seasoned every sacrifice offered with salt. And we're to be a living sacrifice. So we're, we are salt. And, and, and there's a salt covenant in the Bible. Salt preserves things and makes them last. So the covenant that God established with the house of David... There's a, an eternal covenant that's going to last forever, eternity, and, and that covenant is with God's people because we're salt. Why, why do we have this covenant? Why are we salt people? Well, we live in a dead society, and, and, and when dead, I mean spiritually dead. Ephesians says we're spiritually dead until Christ makes us alive. If you've been around very long, you've heard me say this. We are a spirit. We possess a soul. We live in a body. If you're not born again, your spirit man's dead. So you're living by your soulish realm. You're living by your mind, your will, and your emotions, and that's what's driving the vehicle, okay? When you become born again, your spirit is alive, and your spirit's what communicates with God. And so we, it, we, we are the only thing that is preserving our society, Christian, the Christian, the church. And, and we are preserving dead people so they can hear the gospel and be saved. If we stop being salt, our society is doomed. But because of the life of Jesus in us, our society can come to the life of God. Salt, here, here's why. Because salt improves taste. Things just taste better when, 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 you, put, when you use salt. You, you go to the dinner table. You go to a restaurant and you order a steak. There, there probably are spices added to the steak to make it taste better. You hungry? It enhances the flavor of the steak. The gospel is the steak. We are the spices. If you've, ever, if you've ever eaten steak that had no spices and was overcooked, it tastes like leather, okay? There's no flavor. It's hard to chew. You don't enjoy it. <clears throat> People say, oh, yeah, you need to eat this. This is good for you. This is protein. Tastes like hide, you know, like this is terrible. Well, that's, <clears throat> if, we're, if, our, if we're not salty, if we're not operating in salt, that's what the gospel feels like to people in the world. I don't want that. That tastes terrible. That's hard to chew. I don't understand it. It tastes terrible. You're telling me this tastes good. This doesn't taste good. And, and so what about the taste? Well, the psalmist said, he said in Psalms 34 and 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. So we are to represent that. And when people get around us, you know, they, they think, what, they should think, well, what does that taste? What is that taste? That, and that taste should be God. Salt preserves and makes things good. And, and we're giving the world the only thing that tastes good. There's nothing in the world that tastes good except God, and it's true. And if you get around a person, you know, how, how would they say God tastes if they're around you? How would they say that God tastes? You know, oh, I, I like that taste. Or, you know, you've tried things. I don't like the taste of that. Uh, it's, too, it's too sweet. It's too sour. 
In the church world, well, I, I like that. It's loving, it's kind, it's compassionate. In the church world, oh, I don't like that. That's angry, that's legalistic, that's, that's critical, that's judgmental. Jesus said when salt loses its flavor or the ability to influence, it's not good for anymore, so throw it out. The phrase lose its flavor is in the, in the New Testament four times. Two of the four times it, it, it is talking, in, uh, referring to the salt, the word salt, the literal word in the Greek, the salt means becomes foolish. I'll give you an example. Romans one twenty one. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. These people are believers. They know God, but they use the same Greek word here, and they became foolish in their hearts. In other words, their salt, they lost, the salt lost its influence. So these people knew God, but they didn't live for God, and they didn't honor God, so they lost their influence in the world. And the Bible says that's foolish. That's foolish. Jesus said you're salt, but if, if you do something foolish, not good, you lose your influence until you're restored. So your, your influence can be restored. The salt can be restored if you're willing. He's willing. So how does salt lose its flavor? How, how can it? Well, in the natural, here's how it happens. Salt is mined from the ground, and when you find salt in the ground, it's usually next to rock and water. The rock and the water help the salt stay pure. Because in the ground there are other el earthly elements, and, and as long as the salt, salt stays close to the rock and the water, it'll purify. If it's away from the rock and the water, the other elements get in, and it loses its influence. and, and <clears throat> It loses its effectiveness, so, it, so it's not good. It, it, and, and the Bible actually said in this story that the salt, it's just not good. It's actually bad. And it's so bad they would not use it in their fields because they knew if they put this salt in the fields, it ruined the soil, and there would be no crops. So what did they do with it? Well, they put it on the streets. Didn't have asphalt and concrete. They had old rocky roads. So they filled the potholes with it. And then they found out, hey, this stuff kills weeds. It's better than Roundup. And so that, that's what they used the, the salt for. Jesus said, you're salt, but if you don't stay close to the rock, Jesus, and to the water, the word, you will not help people. You will actually hurt people. Many of you have been in church and been around church people who have hurt you. You've been in systems and churches that you've been hurt. Here's why that happened, okay? They may have known God, but they were away from the rock and the water of the Word, and therefore what they're doing is it's bringing hurt and pain, and you're being trampled down by somebody's inconsideration. Why? Because they are bad salt, not good salt. <clears throat> so what do you taste like? Good salt, bad salt. What taste are you leaving with people? Because the Bible says we should leave the taste that the Lord is good, Right? Here's the second point. We're light. <clears throat> Jesus said we're the light of the world. Yeah, but I thought Jesus was the light of the world. Well, in John 5, he said, he said he's the light of the world. So which is it? <clears throat> is it Jesus or is it us? In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John 9, 5, he says, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. John 12, 35, he said, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become the sons of light. So how could Jesus say he's the light and we're the light of the world? As long as he was on the earth, 33 and a half years, he was the light of the world. When he left, he leaves us and we become his light representative on this earth. We are the body of Christ. We are the light on the earth. It's through him. We are his representative on this earth. But here's the part of it. Watch. <clears throat> We're not the source of light. He is. So we don't have to produce it. All we have to learn is not to hide it. 
not, not to hide it. And, and, and I'm going to show some of you his age or maybe, I don't know, but do you remember in, in, in Sunday school or in church singing this little song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. Okay, and then remember, hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to, see, you already know not to, not to hide your light. I didn't even have to put this point in the message. But let me tell you something, though. To hide the light, it's a conscious effort you have to make because light is dominating, and it's a source of power. Get up in the morning before the sun comes up. Watch the sun come up and watch the darkness leave. Go into the room. The light is off. Turn the light on. Watch the darkness leave. We are the only light on this earth. This is how God chose to illuminate who he is on the earth is through us. If the world gets darker, it's the church's fault. If the world gets brighter, it's because we're shining and we're not hidden. <clears throat> and, I've, you know, I've had people come to me in the past and, and sincerely, and, and I answered them sincerely, so I wouldn't be mean. They'd come and they'd say, Pastor, please pray for me. My new job or my transfer or this position it's a dark place. I'm the only Christian there. Man, those people are mean and this and that, and it's hard and it's difficult. Please pray that Jesus will move me to another place. And I'll say, I, I can't do that because I think he put you there because you're light, and light is dominating. And regardless of how dark it is in that dark department, he put light there, and light in you is going to be a source of illumination to them. You need to stay where you are. I didn't go over real well with them either, but it's the truth. You know, the house that you have to have, you know, you prayed and God opened the door and it was a blessing. Well, yes, it's a blessing, but you know, God may have orchestrated that house because it's in a neighborhood that's dark and needs some light. Or maybe there's some houses in that neighborhood that are dark and they need light illumination around them. They, they need to see some light. So we, we don't understand how powerful this light is. Let, let me give you a natural illustration. Th this is the way I see it in my mind. You, you, you're out in your car. You, it's, it's night. You're going home. You go into your subdivision. You turn into your driveway. You hit the remote. The garage door opens. The light comes on. You pull in the garage. You hit the remote. You close the door, and the light goes off. Sometimes that's only part of the illumination we do. There's no spiritual enhancement in our neighborhood, in our community. And here's why a lot of us do that. We're afraid if people know we're Christians or if they think we're believers or if they think we go to Bay Community Church, that they, they, may, you know, they may think we're weird or we're different or they may mock us or laugh at us. They may think you're weird, but it's, it's, it's not you. It's the light. Here's why. Because they haven't been exposed to that much light before, and so they don't know how to react to light. So when you live in a neighborhood and there's homes and families that are in the dark, they don't know God, and, and, and they have a sickness, and you go take care of their yard and you take them food, they, they don't know how to react to that. They're, they're, they, don't, they don't understand it. When you do something of giving and serving to someone like that, they're looking for the catch clause. What's the catch to this? So, they, so you're, you're not weird, but, but if you're not careful, you, you won't let the light out of your house. You won't let the light out, out of your home. And, and listen, the reason I love our church is because since the very beginning, we have let our light out of our buildings. We, we, we let the light out of the buildings. And here's, here's, here's what keeps us there. 
Excellence is surpassing the standard by going the second mile. And when we do, we're letting what's in our hearts out. What's in our heart is values. So when we go out of the walls, when we're serving in a community, when we're reaching out, helping people, nursing homes, prisons, where we're doing all the street reach stuff we do, where we do all the, all the, I could go on and on and on, all these things that we're doing, what are we doing? We're taking the light out into the world. And you understand there are two concepts of church today. There's the concept of church today that you come in and you do your holy huddle and you go out and that's it. You had, you had your church moment. And then there's those who say, well, no, that's not church. Let's just go into the highways and the byways. Let's just go where the poor and let's just go there instead. That's our church. Well, that, no. That, see, both of those are extremes and out of balance. Because what we do, we need to come together corporately and worship corporately and, and know each other relationally. We need that. And then we need to also go out into our community and do the things that we do and serve and love on people. That's what makes us healthy. That's what brings us to a place that we are light, but we're letting the light shine, not just in the four walls of a building, but we're letting it shine in our community. And, and I would say to even to you, I would say here's another way you can let it shine. If you're a believer, you need to vote. If you're a believer, you need to be involved in your community, in your schools that your children are involved in, and, and, and the PTAs and all that stuff, and the ballparks, the school boards. Uh, you, you need to be involved in servolution projects that the church put together because we're going into city parks. We're going into neighborhoods that are in rough shape. Uh, you, you need to be involved in that. That's letting your light shine. So don't, don't say, oh, I let my light shine. Let me get in the house, hit the door button, and, and close it up, but I let my light shine. No, your light is in your house. The light needs to come out of the house. It needs to go where you are. So salt and lighter is an influence that God gives us to be influencers. But watch, salt is internal influence, and it operates covertly. And light is external influence, and it operates overtly, obviously. So don't be afraid to be different because you are the opposite of darkness. So many Christians are intimidated to be different. No, you're the opposite of darkness. Light, you know, you're light, Listen, Jesus is the light of the earth, the world while he's on the earth, and it says that sinners came to him. Sinners ran to him. The, the, the leper even came, ran to him. You know, it's like he's not even supposed to be here. He's supposed to be locked up in his colony, and here's the prostitute, and here's the, here's the tax collector, and here's this guy, and this bum, this guy that's begging, and all this stuff. They ran to Jesus, the light of the world. Why? Because he's the opposite of darkness. But, but let, let me tell you why he did. Let, let, let me tell you the bottom line of all this, why, why people were attracted to him. Because he didn't have a holier-than-thou attitude, even though he was holier than them. He didn't project that. So if we're not careful, as a believer, let me run into the house and close the button. Oh, yeah, I'm the salt and the light of the earth. I'm going to run to do my little church thing. I feel better. Okay, let's go home. And you don't talk about it. You don't share. You don't pray with people. You're not open. You're not sensitive to the Spirit of God talking to you. And, 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 and then here's, what, here's what's put across. We have a holier-than-thou attitude. Yeah, there's one, there's one of those Christians. No, that's not the way Jesus operated. So don't mind being in the light. And listen, you're salt and light, and it should affect the way you work, your work ethic. It should affect the way you honor the person you work for so you're not stealing from them or taking advantage of them or scuffing off on the clock. It should honor the way you react at, a, at an office party. So if something is going on wrong there, you're not participating. Why? Not because you're weird and strange. It's because you're the opposite of darkness. Listen, this last week I was in Honduras with our campus there and had a leadership meeting, and there's a couple there, and, and they, they literally have only been married six months because they got married right before we opened the church. Uh, she, he, she's a new believer, and he's a chef, and they got married, a wonderful couple, 
And so she's an accountant, and her dad has a, an organization of accounting systems one in the United States and other countries. She runs the one in Honduras. So they got married, and so he decided to quit being a chef and go to work with his wife. And I said, well, that's a test uh, for, for marriage, okay? But, and so Pastor Pablo has been teaching on, on Joseph and, and into the integrity piece of that series that we did here last year, integrity and, and this. And so one of her clients uh, it w- were, was doing things that were, were, were wrong. They, they just they weren't right, you know? And it was a good client. And so they talked and they prayed. And so they met with that client and said, we, because of this, we, we can't serve you anymore. We can't do your business anymore. Well, that's, that's a pretty bold step for a new believer. The next day, not even 24 hours, the next day, <clears throat> she got a call from a hospital that hired them to do the accounting for the whole hospital system. So guess what she learned? She learned that standing up and being salt and light, standing up for what's right, God will honor that. It's not a subtraction. It's always a multiplication. Because you're an influence, and God wants you to be a bigger influence than that. And, 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 and so, that, and, and it's okay that, it's okay that you're, you're opposite from other people. You want to be. Why do we want to blend in? I'm light. I can't blend in with darkness. Y'all okay? Third point of the message. This is the analogy part, okay? Uh, the, the analogy is be relevant fishers of men. Now, back up a chapter, Matthew 14, 18. Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. He said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Why would Jesus choose fishermen to be disciples? We know at least half of them were professional fishermen, but why would he choose an outdoorsman, a hardworking man to be his disciple? Well, he chose them because they understood the concept of fishing. Notice he didn't choose a preacher. He didn't choose a politician. He didn't choose a Pharisee, a religious leader. He chose people, regular, normal, everyday, hardworking people, his disciples. And, and, and let me tell you this. You, you don't believe this, but I'm going to tell you it because it's true. Normal, hardworking, everyday people make a greater impact for the kingdom of God than anyone else. You line up all of the church people and line up all the pastors and you are going to do more and have more impact on the kingdom of God than all the pastors put together, okay? It's just the way God designed it. Pastors are to teach you the word every week. Pastors are to help equip you, mend the net, so you can do your purpose in, in ministry. And, and, and so, but if, if I'm doing my part, if the pastor's doing his part in teaching and preaching, but if you're not doing anything, then no fish are called. So if you understand the analogy of being a relevant fisher of men, then you will, it's just part of your life. Everywhere you go, what you do, it's just part of who you are and where you go. So I want to show you the concepts of fishing. And, and listen, I, I'm going to get deep in this message. And so if, if I lose you, you can go back and listen to this online. Okay? So here's the first concept of fishing. Put bait on your hook. Told you it was deep. Well, well what's bait? Bait is something fish are, fish are attracted to and will bite. Well, what's bait when you're fishing for men? Your story. Your story of the goodness of God. Every person ever born has an innate desire to encounter the living God. They may not know it. They may deny it, but God put it in them. So put on your hook your story of how you became a believer, a miracle, a healing, deliverance, a marriage, your kids, something that happened there with God, uh, your, your business, your finances. And here's what's so powerful about your story. 
It's not how bad you were, but how good and powerful God is. Well, Pastor, I don't really have a bad story. No, you see, here, here's the deal. Some of us think I have to have the bad story so that you can tell everybody how bad you were. No, here, here's what makes a good story. The best story is any story that's under the direction of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God will orchestrate people in your life, at work, in, in the neighborhood, at the ballpark. He'll put people in your life, and you'll hear them talking about something, and you've experienced that, or you know about that, and the Holy Spirit will just kind of whisper in your ear, tell, tell, them, tell, them you, tell them you've been through that. Tell them you overcame that. Tell, tell them how, what God did for you in that. And so th- there you are in this place where it's time for you to put your story out there. Here's the second message. Now, this is, where the, this is where it gets deep. Put your hook in the water. Must be the slow group today. Uh, cast your line, your story. Some of you have never shared your story. Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. So if you're not fishing, then you're not following. Ouch. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm scared to share. I, I, you know, I have a fear of speaking to people and this and this and this. No, the reason the number one fear is public speaking is because people are afraid of what you're going to think about what they say. Insecurity. So, you know, you don't need a 30-minute sermon or a five-minute message. You, you, you can actually bait your hook with a 10-second sentence. You know, I was extremely involved with blank and blank until blanked. Or, you know, I grew up in church and I knew all about God, but nothing changed until I gave him control. Or what about this one? Hey, did I ever tell you I had cancer five years ago? Well, there's a hook. I had a guy in the, in the Saturday evening service. I'm talking to somebody and he walks by me and he gave me a seven-word storyline. And I'm talking and then I became, I just, I, just, I lost, I the hook in my mouth just pulled me around. I I just walked away from these people, and I I said, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. I said, I want want the rest of that story. I want to use that story in a message. He said, okay. But just seven words. It was like, man. And And I'm telling you, when you do that, people aren't thinking you're trying to cram religion down their throat. They're they're thinking you're being real. You're being transparent. You're being honest. Just tell your stories about God and his goodness. And, and you see, and we do it in church. We do it in church, but what about outside the church? You've been seeing stories every weekend, but what about your story everywhere you go when something comes up? It's so easy. You just start where you are in life. Here's the third point of the concept of fishing. Fish where the fish are. You can't fish in your bathtub or your swimming pool. There are no fish. You've got to go to the lake or the pond or the ocean, your, your, your river, you know, and, and, and listen, you, you, most of you guys, you know, you've been to Bass Pro Shop and there's this large tank there and you've got the fish in it and all that, but it's there for you to try out this rod or this lure or whatever. It, it's not about trying to catch those fish because there's no excitement in that because they're already caught. They're, they're, they're caught. We, we think church is the only place to fish. We, we, we do. We think church is the only place to fish. No, fishing for the most part in church, you're already caught. You know, 95% of the people every weekend listening to me in church, they're they're already caught. They're they're already believers, okay? So if I think that church is the only place to catch fish, what we do is we become aquarium keepers and not fishers of men. He didn't call us to keep aquariums. He called us to be fishers of men. And where are the fish? They're at work. They're at school. They're in the neighborhood. They're in the ballparks, the malls, the restaurants. And if you don't start fishing, you'll never catch fish. 
So you take your story, put it on your line, drop your hook in the water, and, and when you do, I'm telling you, you're going to catch fish. <clears throat> I know some fish come here, and, and, and they see and hear the message, and God touches them, and they get saved. We have, you know, hundreds every year, and, and that's great. But here's why they're here. 99% of them are here because they came because of the influence of some relevant fisherman, one of you, and they see salt and life in your life, in your life, and so they just want to find out, well, they go there. I want to go find out what that's all about, and then God speaks to them. So to be an aquarium keeper, here's what you do. And, and listen, most of us grew up in churches that's an aquarium-keeping church, okay? And so you maintain the same fish. There, there are no new ones. It's the same bunch. And so when you do that, you have to learn to balance the water's pH, and, and here's how that works. I'll go to an Old Testament analogy. If you go to the promised land, you go to Israel today. Today in Israel, there are two seas joined by a river. When the snow melts on the mountains, the, the water runs down. It goes into the Jordan River. The Jordan River primarily overflows into the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is the number one water source for the nation of Israel. There is a small amount of water that will drop over into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea. You can't drink the water. You can't well, you can swim in it, but you can't drown in it, and you can't drink it. It's just like in baby oil, you know. You got all these rich minerals from the mountains, and they're settled there. There's no outward flow. There's nothing living there. That's the, that's the picture of the aquarium church in our country. Everything is dead there, even though it's received the blessings. Oh, it has access to the miracles and the minerals of God, the blessings of God, but it hasn't, it hasn't used them, so it becomes toxin. And, and you see, when we're only aquarium keepers and not fishers of men, we dam up the blessings and we start pollu- and pollution comes and it becomes toxic. And, and, and we in the church system in the world, we, we, we've learned to maintain life in the aquarium. And, he, and here's how we did it. Church learned the secret of filters, the filter system. And so we filter in who we want here. And who we want there. No, we don't want those people here. We don't want that group here. Oh, you're here. Oh, you're Mr. Oh, oh, yeah, we want you here. Oh, yeah, we're going to put you here. We're going to do that. And so there's a filter system. You know, if you have an aquarium in your house, you know the number one problem you struggle with is your fish's immune system. It's keeping the fish healthy. If you lose your balance, your fish get fish disease. And listen, you can look at the outside of your aquarium, and it may look clean. No algae looks good. But if you start looking close and you start looking at the immune system of the fish, they may already have some fish disease. They may already have some scales and stuff. And, it, and it's, not, it's not good in the fish, but from the outside, it, it looks good. You, you understand that churches today can look good from the outside and be cleaned and polished and got a bunch of fish swimming around. It all looks good. But when you look on the inside, if you look and see what they taste like, is it healthy? Is it good? Are they reproducing? And listen, if you're confined to a box of glass, if you're confined to a four walls in your church and you're not in the river of God and the streams of God and the blessings of God, you can't fulfill your purpose. You can't fulfill your calling. You're, in the, you're controlled and manipulated by a system with filters in it and you will be frustrated because you can't keep up with all the rules and the regulations and you can't keep up with changing the filters. You can't keep the pH right and you burn out and you give up and you say, I'm done with church. And we have a generation today, a younger generation, that they're at that point. They, they, they grew up in that, and they saw the effects of that on their parents, and they're saying, if that's church, I don't want any part of it. And that's why in the last 10 years, there's a movement of life-giving churches, and it's changing the whole principle of what's going on. But you see here, let me give you this example. Just like this message I'm giving you today, let me show you how it works. Revelation 10, the Lord said to John, John the Revelator, open the scroll, eat it. It was sweet to his mouth. When it got in his belly, it becomes sour. 
Why is it sour? To expel things. The word is sweet. You come in, you hear it. It's all, you know, it's got all this little stuff to it and it feels so good and warm and fuzzy. And, and so it's sweet and you agree with it. But the word is being deposited into you. So the next day, the next week, that word starts working. Here's what it's trying to expel. I'm trying to expel doubt and fear and insecurity about you sharing your story with people. Not, not preaching, not, not, not pulling out a three-point message. I'm just saying sharing your story with people. Your salt and your light. And if you're following Jesus, he will teach you how to fish for people. You use the right bait. That's your story. You put it on the hook. You put it in the water where there are lost people. You start fishing. You'll catch fish. I promise you it's the way it works. They're living in a dark world. They're in the dark, and the light needs to shine. And, and listen, we are a healthy church, not a perfect church. So what does that mean? That means the fish here can come in and move and flow in the streams and the rivers of God with all his blessings to fulfill God's desire in your life. You're not constrained to a system, but you're flowing and you're going. We've had people in this church that God's called them to do this and do this and do that, and, and that's great in ministry. But then we've had people in this church in their business, in their jobs, the people that are entrepreneurs. We've had people in this, and they start flowing in this direction, in this direction. Why? But because it's what God has called them to do, to operate and flow in this, and so they have the freedom to do it. You see, here, here, here's the... Here's the pH balance of this church, okay? Here's what keeps us healthy, is that we want to see people saved and healed and delivered and equipped and serving and reaching people with the love of God. We want to see people reaching people with the love of God, Not, not, not some pastor with a sermon. I'm here to equip you and help you, but you're the one who can do these things. And, and listen, I'm telling you, the, if we're not careful, we're toxic, and we don't think we can share our story. You have a story, and God will set it up for you to share that story. And when you do, and you get a fish, don't throw them back. Bring them, bring them to church. Get them in a small group. And listen, when you do catch a fish, don't clean it. That's what the Holy Spirit and the Word of God does. Don't don't bring them into the church and expect the church to clean the fish. That's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We present the Word and the teaching and the love and all of those things, but it's God's Word and it's the Holy Spirit that does the cleaning. In an aquarium, oh, we're going to clean you up. You've got to do this. Do these three steps, and the next week you do these four steps, and the next week you're going to do this, and next week you've got to do that. Oh, you messed up. Go all the way back. Start all over again. Oh, no, you, oh, you, you've been doing that so long. Okay, we're going to promote you now. Put him over this filter. Are, are y'all understanding the words coming out of my mouth? Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the way the system works. Listen, if I had to go to a church that's perfect, I wouldn't go because I wouldn't fit in. And you wouldn't be there either. So what has God called us? He's called us to a church of excellence, going beyond What's beyond is loving people just because we love people, because God's love is in us, just serving and being kind and generous to people and loving and sharing the story and talking about God, just like it's second nature. And not you've got a quota, how many doors you've got to knock on, how many people you've got you to share witness to. I, I can remember as a teenager going to one of those things where you train how to witness and go to the door and all that. I was terrified. You know, I was terrified. It's like, oh, I don't want to do that. You know? So that's, that's not the way God designed it. That's the way the aquarium church designed it. Okay. I'm going to pray for you. And here's what I want you. I don't want you to leave.
because after we pray, your campus pastor is going to come and we're going to do something strange. No, we're not passing out snakes, so don't worry. Not that. We're balanced, okay? And so only good snakes are dead snake. That's balanced. But anyway, uh, and so I, I want to pray for us, and then your, pastor, your campus pastor is going to come, okay? Father, thank you. We ask you to fill us afresh and anew with the fullness of your spirit. Lord, to lead us to live in Christ, to walk in Christ, and to keep in step with him. Because he is the head of our church, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, you direct us, guide us, protect us. And as the bridegroom of your bride, purify us, nourish us, and satisfy us. Father, you designed us, so build us. You designed us, so develop us. And the author and the finisher of our faith, so you teach us and instruct us and disciple us. Make us a healthy church. Make us the healthy church you intended us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I love my church. Do it. Come on. Look at them. <laughs>